0: Hi, my name is Brank Amelodic, and you are listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Today, I am delighted to begin the fourth of five podcasts of our 2023 Sustainability Series, proudly brought to you in association with Architectural Window Systems. Architectural Window Systems, or AWS, Strives to be at the forefront of innovation with window and door systems that provide flexibility, energy efficiency, sustainability, comfort, and the ability to maximise natural light. AWS window and door systems help architects to meet the seven-star minimum energy requirements for newly built homes, apartments, and renovations, as well as Section J requirements on all commercial projects. With an extensive range for residential and commercial projects, designed, tested and made right here in Australia, AWS products are available through 200 licensed fabricators nationwide. AWS sources its aluminium from INEX, where 55% of the aluminium is considered low carbon aluminium. For more information, go to www.awsaustralia.com.au to find out the right solution for your next project. And Today in our virtual studio, we have James Cooper
1: from Sanctum Design. James Cooper is based in the lovely suburb of Plontarf in New South Wales. He has been implementing the principles of sustainable design for over 25 years and brings his knowledge of passive solar and climate-conscious design to his client base primarily in Sydney but also in regional Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Most recently, that's in 2022, James won the National Design Award for Heritage Buildings Adaptive Reuse uh, for the Lauriston House Project in Gladesville which is in Sydney. So welcome to Talk in Architecture and Design, James Cooper.
2: Thanks, Branko. Really happy to be here and thanks for the intro
1: too. So how would you say building homes to a seven-star rating has impacted the way uh, you design a home? Because, you know, seven-star is is, is pretty much up there, isn't
2: it? It certainly is these days. Look, we've been um, seeking that as a sort of a benchmark for all of our projects over many years. Some are more difficult to get there than others. Um, We do a lot of work around the waterfront, sort of um, some high-end areas and some, you know, fairly built-up urban areas as well. So achieving seven-star can be tricky when, say, for example, we've got south-facing views, uh, client has paid um, quite handsomely for those views, and uh, we're li- looking to maximise those views where we can. But sometimes, you know, the microclimatic conditions and also shading from trees and so forth can make it fairly tricky. So I think it's great that we've mandated Seven Star now. Um, I think going forward, it is something that will test many, but I think the secret is also having a really good uh, thermal performance assessor on board um, who can give you sort of not quite real-time feedback, but certainly um, qualified feedback going forward. But we tend to use... Uh, I guess, real-time thermal performance analysis where we can, just to make sure those tweaks uh, we're making are, uh, I I guess, um, you know, having an impact on the overall project. So, yes, um, it is going to um, change the, uh, I guess, the, the normal approach and certainly start relying more on passive solar design or passive house design. Both of those are sort of, uh fairly critical to get the weighting of uh north glazing thermal mass insulation um and in you know many of our homes you know ventilation being quite critical to that overall result
1: passive house passive solar design um that really is you now the I guess the the flavor of the month with a lot of designers um can you just quickly um just describe the difference between the two
2: Yeah, look, um, so I'm, you know, I'm a bit old school. I tend to sort of work and I guess all my sort of, um, you know, I guess my studies at uni and so forth have been very much directed towards passive solar design. Um, Passive House has obviously been around for a long time, primarily uh, its background in Europe and is really gaining traction and acceptance now um, in, in Australia and I think is... Um, yeah, a great leap, particularly in difficult climates where you need to have a uh, a very highly insulated and highly regulated envelope. Um, the difference, I guess, between that in a nutshell and passive solar design is, um, you know, from a designer's perspective um, is, you know, well, as far as our work is concerned, we want to try and embrace Um, those environmental conditions and connect to it Um, whereas sometimes passive solar uh passive house design is very sort of um yeah is very regulated through obviously air handling and also probably um yeah probably a very careful weighting of windows so whereas the free running buildings that we do are tending to sort of open up and connect to um you know i guess that in external environmental factors you know looking for a bit more cross ventilation and so forth where we can but really i think passive house is the um it is the way forward in terms of um you know a, a, a changing climate and needing to reduce our i guess reliance on additional energy systems to control the heat within the home we can't just open up Outdoors in 42 degrees heat, which might happen much more uh, often, whereas we can sort of shut everything down within a passive house and control that, um, you know, that internal environment probably better. But being old school and where our our homes tend to connect to environment, connect to landscape, um, it is a preferred methodology or a design methodology um, because. Yeah, landscape, environment, um, glass, daylighting, all that's really important to us um, as design outcomes. So I think it's, um, yeah, those core differences are really probably around insulation, the type of glazing, connectivity, but certainly thermoregulation through that building
1: envelope primarily. This These designs, both passive house and passive solar, if these patterns, weather patterns, let's leave it a weather pattern without going any further. If they continue, uh, and if the summer is as bad as they're, they're predicting, these designs become a lot more important. Don't they? It's, not, it's it's no longer just for comfort, is it? It's, it's, there's a whole series of other uh, other flowing effects, aren't there?
2: Yes. Uh, look, it really gets down to occupant health to a large extent. So the more... The more heat extreme days we have, um, obviously, the more serious the potential impacts on people's um, health and well being is. So yes, it's it's it really gets down to a sort of a critical issue around um, you know occupant health and therefore yes, it's you know I, I guess you know as far as Sydney is concerned, yes, we're looking at you know milder winters and if. You know, once upon a time um, when we were looking at climate models in terms of, say, for example, a 2020 or a 2030, we basically sh- um, saw a shifting of the climate zone that was Sydney was going to become a bit more like Coffs Harbour, right? So that, you know, and it depends where in Sydney as well. We've got all these microclimatic uh, influences which are very relevant. If you're in the western suburbs, um, you know, with you know, a sparsely um, vegetated street, you know, those heat island effects are going to be off the Richter scale as they already are showing to be some of the hottest places on earth. So, um, but, you know, design is holistic as well. We've got to look at urban design and we've got to look at the individual building design. But if we don't have mechanisms to control the heat through the building envelope, um, we're really going to struggle going forward and we're going to have a lot more, um, I guess, you know sort of climate casualties if you like um as we move forward so um in other climates look there can be some net benefits you know some of the you know as you you go further south you know some of those uh winters become more mild um so um you know there's a there's i guess a, a sort of flow on effect but the issue is probably one of extremes so where you have melbourne for example which is um you know, which has very cool winters, but also have very hot summers. So those extremes are going to increase. And I think, you know, we're starting to see many, many moons down the track. I mean, we've been talking about this for 30, 40 years now that, you know, government is finally, you know, sort of making legislation um, to ensure that, you know, we're controlling that um I guess controlling the environment through the building envelope so yeah really important steps forward.
1: Sydney is going to become more like Coffs Harbour I guess, I guess I don't I don't need to wear shoes anymore do I?
2: So they say so um but yeah Coffs can be quite cool in winter too so but yeah a bit warmer in the summers uh Coffs has microclimatic issues same with some parts of um sydney which uh will become more humid um but yeah in those low-lying heavily vegetated areas so i think yeah it's easy to generalize but yeah look at you know we go you know the further we go west the more extreme that's going to be and the more different to coughs it's going to be you you might take the same sort of um the same latitude across um you know but the further we get away from the coast from the coast the more difficult it's going to be because the coast is providing that wonderful thermal mass of the ocean so it tends to sort of stabilize and regular, regulate the um the climate a bit more but as soon as you move away from that coast yeah that's when you really feel it
1: recently, you recently we mentioned in the intro, you recently completed a seven-star of Passive solar House. Can you talk us through the design of the process? And how much time uh, was spent or how hard was it in finding suppliers' products and services that would fit your particular brief?
2: Look, uh, so that project, I guess, is one of many that we seek and, you know, usually are successful in meeting a minim- minimum seven-star but it was a beast of a building Um, so we really had to look at controlling the energy use you know effectively a rural estate um, in a uh, what you know basically in um in cropping land i think uh, canola is the mainstay of the environment so lovely yellow fields um uh in spring and summer but uh yeah, quite a tricky environment because it's you know cool in uh, cool in winter, um, but quite hot in summer. So, uh, particularly with minimal vegetation through the sort of agricultural clearing that has happened over years, um, one of the core issues there is that uh, because of the heat, uh, because of the heat loading on the building, we really had to maximise thermal mass. And we had to maximise and be very careful about our um, glazing applications. So where it was orientated, how it was controlled, what the, you know, what, what the uh, thermal properties of um, those glazing elements would be. So really it's a, a multi-pronged approach looking at all the building fabric and um, and in this case maximising thermal mass, and the, which is obviously... Um, uh, you know the ability for uh, solid surface or uh, dense surface to um, to absorb and control uh, heat within the home. So the more thermal mass in a in a you know a hot um, low humidity environment that you have, the more it has the ability to uh, I guess regulate help regulate that internal temperature. But um, In this case yes so you know we looked at external walling we designed particular walling systems which were effectively a reverse brick veneer um but using you know um yeah slightly different materials for different aesthetics um and we looked at lots of shading mechanisms lots of good overhangs but certainly we had to really make sure that we were getting um winter sun in when yeah you know you know when it was low angle in uh in winter so um that passive solar design principles was really uh i guess the you know the approach which might have been a little bit more difficult under a passive house just given its size and need for connection to this large environment but um yeah it allowed lots of north-facing glazing we we had the choice of Um, the choice of orientation, we maximised that, we minimised west and east, we insulated uh, externally, we used high-quality glazing systems, um, insulated frames, double glazing, low e. we threw, you you know, I guess we we threw the full suite of um, options at it um, and, yeah, and I guess with inherent knowledge around what's going to work and what's not going to work in that environment, you know, we we pretty easily achieved that seven-star.
1: That was a house down at Wagga, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned fields of canola. Right? I actually know that area quite well. Um, it, they, they are beautiful when they bloom, but there is one thing that, that interests me. Wagga's climate is completely different to what we have with the coast. It is dry, right, as, as you mentioned. Um, is, is that... I mean, it's dry and hot in summer. That's right. And in winter, <laughs> it's wet and cold. Mm. Um, so, does that, for that, does that particular microclimate or climate, does that give a specific set of challenges for you in terms of what you, what you, I guess, in inverted commas, what you, you're used to? And in terms of, you know, passive solar.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, the, the key word is there is solar. So it's it's no good getting, um, a, a, you know, sort of winter sun in when the sun's not shining. So there's always, you know, there's always going to be some issues. And this is where passive house comes in. It's probably um, whilst uh, I guess you've got, um, you know, a propensity to maximise your, your north-facing glass, in this case, in, particularly in those um in in those regions that don't get a lot of sun in winter um, it does become a lot trickier to make sure that you've got a very tightly sealed and controlled envelope so um yeah particularly with glazing systems uh you really have to make sure that you've got uh the best of the best in there um and carefully weight that but the idea also is that any, So you can go into climate data and have a look at the average number of solar days, yeah, So, and you'll find some of those areas, you know, receive, you know, quite a good level of um, winter sun. Um, So you sort of design sort of, I guess, appropriately to uh, those uh, solar days where you can, but otherwise that's where you've got to get the sun in, trap it in, Um, uh, don't let it out, but thermal mass is obviously going to help uh control and absorb any sun you get in but also where you've got an active heating system whether it's an in slab and using a bit of a proxy um, uh, yeah for the sun and look ideally you're going to get net zero with uh, a good solid solar array a good battery bank that can feed into a hydronic system which is either a solar hydronic system depending how much sun you get or it can be um yeah an electric heat pump based on you know with a with a battery backup so that's going to be there's going to be different approaches to different climate zones and microclimates um yeah, relative to the solutions for heating and cooling that you use, but if you're not trapping that heat in, more well than, you know through the external envelope. Well, then you're really going to struggle, uh, regardless. So, um, but yes, that's why uh, glazing, insulation, thermal mass—you know—I uh, guess are sort of all of the sort of principal recipe that we need to consider in those in those
1: areas. Okay, so let's talk about the same thing, but a different a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 sustainable design aspects of the 2022 award-winning Lorison house up here in Glazeville, because that's the same concept but again a different different climate so and, and i I'm, I'm assuming different aspects and a lot, a lot of other different things so can you go through the build the, the products used and i assume being uh, in the lovely hilly and um, water surrounded sydney there was there was a whole set of Unique challenges, not least of which I assume uh, uh, the council didn't, didn't help with. But um, what kind of products would you use, and what kind of challenges were were you would you have in the Morrison House award-winning Morrison House project I think, Well, look,
2: just a quick background on that branco um the uh, the project was a uh, a heritage residence and we you know whilst we employed sustainable principles through uh throughout that project um i i guess it's been well received um relative to its uh response to heritage so we had a um yeah lovely georgian colonial sandstone original building that was effectively um, a, a four, um, you know, a, a four by four room. Um, it was, um, yeah, solidly constructed from sandstone in the day. Um, and it had a federation wing, which was clearly identified. So, um, our design approach really was to sort of look at this and say, okay, we can see the evolution of history or architectural history was expressed through. Um, yeah, the, you know, the form and material on that particular uh, project. And so we look to make a a contemporary addition to that. And I guess in terms of contemporary design, um, sustainability is just part of good design. Yeah, so if if you're not considering issues of energy and materiality, then you're probably not doing your job these days. So what we thought was... um, I guess, look, we had a lovely big back garden to work with, lovely existing trees, um, and a really, really good orientation. We it's rare we get a um, a, a, a real north or a true north uh, aspect with our building, so we're able to say, okay, let's look at this, and we can we can minimise the energy used through passive solar design, but. Uh, we could also respond to heritage um, by using a contemporary edition that echoed some of the elements um, of the original uh yeah, the original buildings or the the additional wings over time. So we effectively employed a um uh I guess a sort of uh if if you like, uh a simplified uh gable um, or barn-like structure that sort of was um, transverse to the uh, original gable of the Federation wing but through that we were able to extend um, a lovely outdoor entertaining area that sat underneath a uh, I guess a sort of a butterfly type um, response butterfly roof response and we we threw the skillion out towards the north which gave us height and then gave us the ability to bring winter Sun um, directly inside. The new addition. So with that, uh yeah, we employed um yes, yeah, some uh, significant north facing glass through some um yes, yeah, some excellent glazing systems using, you know, the Elevate Slide Master System from AWS. Um we could get some really nice spans out of that and have um yes yeah, some really nice um I guess size openings when we were able to open up to um, you know good outside conditions but we're able to seal that in with a double glazed low e system um, to trap that heat in when we wanted to so we also employed a lot of uh thermal mass internally we used a, a dark tiled floor which was able to absorb the um the winter sun but also used to control the internal environment when things get a little hot under the collar um we had the bonus there of exposing some of the original sandstone of the original uh sandstone cottage so that created a really lovely backdrop to this sort of contemporary interior so um certainly the um the orientation helped us dramatically we were able to also use um recycled brick from the site we had to demolish one of the old uh, outdoor dunnies um, much to my uh, <laughs> much much to my exception but um we're able to re- recycle and match more recycled brick into that as the overall um, solid fabric um of the of the new addition but uh but certainly the glazing uh the glazing elements of that project we were able to maximize our glazing insulation through the through the double glazing system and also through uh, using thermally broken frames. So where, you know, I guess a glass is effectively a hole in your wall. If you're not using the right glass, you're going to leak it Um, or the right glazing system and framing system. You're going to leak that um, energy um, pretty much as soon as you, as it comes inside, it's going to get sucked outside fairly quickly when that temperature drops.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to Architectural Windows Systems, whose sponsorship of the 2023 Sustainability Series makes all this possible. Comfort Edge is an energy-efficient range complemented by a minimalist style aesthetic. It creates the illusion of space and a seamless connection between the indoors and the outdoors. Using patent technology by embedding the structural aluminium frame into the surrounding timber frame, the thermal performance of the window or door is greatly improved, while also offering increased strength and, of course, improved durability. Comfort Edge is a residential range within the Vantage brand brought to you by Architectural Windows Systems. It is available through 200 licensed fabricators nationwide. For more information, visit vantagewindows.com.au. And now, back to the show. You said heritage,
1: um, which is interesting. Just to add, just to add to the complexity of, of, of the whole project, um, were there considerations, what considerations should I say were made for window to wall ratios in order to meet the design brief while also, of course, meeting basics and requirements of the planet?
2: I guess as a general rule, we probably want to, you know, sort of head around the sort of, uh, I guess, you know, the 30 to 40% of Um, floor area to glass, but then you can break that down further and say that, you know, we're probably around sort of, you know, 20, 25% of north-facing glass to thermal mass, right? So, yeah, when you drill down into the passive solar component of that, you want to get the weighting about right. So, you know, there's, you can have too much mass and you can have too little glazing or too much glazing and too little mass. So it definitely is about balance. And but, you know, I guess as a rule, you know, around that sort of 30 to 40% um, of glazing the floor area is, is, is around the norm. Um, but really I feel it is getting down to individual, um, individual arrangements, you know, where that glass is facing, you know, the core orientations. There's no use having 30 to 40% of glazed area on a west facing facade, for example. So it has to be it has to be measured, um, and it has to be responding appropriately to your orientation, your climate, you know, any natural shading. Whether you can rely on that um, these days with uh, tree loss, I don't know, but um, you can certainly sort of use those sort of you know rules of thumb. Um, and whilst I'm not overly conscious of that ratio when I'm designing. Um, the feedback through, yeah, thermal performance analysis, we'll see that many of my projects are sort of hitting around that mark, um, but certainly certainly trying to achieve, um, you know, a, a good amount of north-facing glass west and east. And in this case, we had two um, two generous, uh, I guess, um, clerestory elements of glass tucked within the main gables, and they faced east and west. And I wanted to really maximize. So the the east facing glass was sitting over the kitchen, and I really wanted to maximize uh, natural daylighting. And the west facing glass was sort of sitting over the um, you know over the living area, and it had some lovely leafy outlooks that I wanted to capture as well. So basically, I floated the whole gable, um, the gable or the pitched roof, um, and used um, I guess a a fairly higher high solar heat gain coefficient to um, maximize the shading on those east and west elements and we double glazed and used thermally broken frames in that system as well. So where I probably went outside the norm and probably added a little bit more glass than I wanted to to capture, you know the I, I guess the uh the environmental, um, sort of attributes of the site, um, I was able to use the AWS systems to uh, minimise the impact of heat loss or heat gain um, and still get some niceties out of the design.
1: I know there's a view out there, um, somewhat widespread, that sustainable design you know, should imply using you know timber and, and whatnot. So why did you choose uh, uh, aluminium? Look, I think aluminium
2: is probably our most commonly requested uh, material um, for Windows systems, primarily due to, I guess, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, um, it's durability and low maintenance. So um, we consider lots of different systems when, I guess, you know, proposing a design solution for a client. Um, they will, well, my clients will nine out of 10 or eight or nine times out of 10 come back to aluminium. Um, yes, we can consider the fact that it has a high recyclable content, but it also has a very high embodied energy, which we must factor in, I guess, in the overall, you know, consideration. But, um, overwhelmingly with recyclability and we if we can guarantee recyclability um there's definitely uh i guess a a low lower life cycle cost overall Mm -hmm. um and certainly in terms of maintenance um, that reduces life cycle cost um throughout the project as well um but really, I feel that, yeah, my clients are sort of definitely drawn towards that because of du- durability. Um, now that we can actually get some pretty reasonable thermal properties out of aluminium, um, uh, we're sort of, uh, I guess, um, more much more embracing of aluminium window systems than we were, say, you know, um, yeah, 20 years ago when sort of thermally broken systems were probably just coming in. Um and certainly just the whole uh access to good uh to good glazing systems with you know the, the properties of glass being um improved um, very regularly with technology these days. Um, um you look at the the European systems, which we're probably um yeah starting to embrace but you know obviously yeah factoring in cost with triple glazing if we if we need it we'll employ it um but definitely thermally broken systems um will give us that extra level of um i guess uh you know reduced heat loss you know through those glazing systems and those framing systems so yeah it really is about balance um um clients in our market yeah, really, really are, you know, sort of focused on using aluminium systems. Um, and I think that there's, you know, you know, really solid reason for that to be embraced in our projects. Um, if we can mandate through that in the demolition of our home, so 30 years from now, hopefully 50 to 100 years from now, um, that they're still in place. Um, and I think just through look as we progress where houses are renovated or um yeah or sort of rebuilt i think yeah that the really if you're not recycle recycling those recyclable elements um it's really going to cost you because of the cost of landfill um so um, I think, you know, any of your sort of demolition contractors these days will factor in the the value of material in there. And obviously aluminium is a high value, but certainly when you look at other recyclable elements within a home, you know, through the steel, the copper, the masonry, um, even the timber where it's in good condition, um, yeah, we're probably getting a lot more um, I guess recyclability than we once did, and I think it's going to be mandated through the pure economies of scale. When looking at, um, yeah, I guess the, you know, the the natural sort of progression of the built environment as, you know, as as we go forward. So yeah, certainly a consideration.
1: What are your five tips to designing a functional home? Journey?
2: Designing a functional home. Well, I guess the first thing is to respond to the um the client's brief. But um yeah, certainly uh circulation, um I guess maximizing, you know, and that is the circulation through the house. So good good circulation paths, uh a floor plate that um you can move through easily is certainly something that i see as a big part of functionality on a sort of day-to-day living level um you know through the zoning of rooms and also just i guess the um you know the implementation of your circulation paths and how that works um but um connecting with environment is a big one for me um you know i guess i also had a once upon a time um you know studied landscape design so connection to landscape um yet yeah, you know uh is really integral with that and we can do that through i guess a transparent fabric uh really easily so um but that good connection to i guess the winter sun you know making sure that we're shading a building well um, those are going to be really important uh factors going forward with um, you know with building design as they always have um they always have been um, but that climatic suitability and consideration of the microclimate that a site might may, may sit within is a big part of responding for functionality um similarly i would say that we um you know we need to focus on the detail we can specify we can specify really solid insulation throughout the home we can get all the sort of theoretical elements uh right but the home is really not going to function unless you look at the construction detail and that that construction detail that is mandated through your contract and your contract specification if your details um cover it that's one thing but i think it's really important to make sure that the builder is really um paying attention to the detail not leaving holes in insulation uh not providing you know sort of large air gaps with the packing out of uh, window and door frames you know it's it's one i see really regularly is you know there's 10 to 20 mil spaces around a window frame and then you've just got a cladding sheet that carries over it and nothing in between um, other than just a large air gap so we're not only susceptible to uh, thermal bridging but we've basically got a 20 mil hole around our glass so we've um, or our framing system so if we're not careful with how that's detailed those wonderful glazing and framing systems that we're specifying, um, yeah, uh, can be undone really quickly. So the functionality of a home is really subject to detail, I think. Um, um, So, look, and certainly it depends where you are um, as far as what your design response for that functionality is. I mean, as I said, we do a lot of work on... um, waterfronts or places with water views the home's not functioning functioning from a client's perspective if it doesn't have a massive wall of glass whichever direction that faces as long as it faces the view so so yes so we've really got to get either you know the shading right um well it's a function of all of these things we've got to get the shading right relative to the orientation we've got to get the glazing and framing system right making sure that that's um that's well specified um and yeah we've got to take a holistic approach to ensuring that the building functions well from the client's perspective and manipulate the fabric and the form to ensure that it functions from a thermal perspective as well so that there is sort of a you know a critical part of the whole solution um so and i and i guess also as we move forward you know technology along with the climate you know changing rapidly so is technology and i think it's great that um yeah manufacturers are really embracing that technology and looking forward to the next level because yeah look our glass is a wonderful part of our um you know, I, I guess our building—the more transparent and more connectivity to environment we can have—the, you know, yeah, the more uh, I guess glorious that experience within the home can be. But if we're not, if we're not continuously striving for better outcomes with the building fabric, then we're always going to be a little hampered as designers. You know, we're we're always going to be a little constrained. I, you know, I would like to see the manufacturers yeah really pushing those levels um to give designers more scope um the more you know the better insulated that whole um uh glazing framing suite is um yeah the more fun we can have as designers and uh yeah the i guess the more connected to environment uh the client can be also so technology is um you know Yeah, with the building fabric, but also within the home, um, yes, we're seeing sort of simplification through, you know, wireless systems and um, building management systems, which once upon a time was just the home of spaghetti in the walls. You know, it was just wires everywhere and we can simplify that. So, yeah, um, I guess the more streamlined, the more technology we can embrace and the more, um readily manufacturers give us as designers solutions then the better the homes for our clients are going to be
1: lastly james the million dollar question the uh, your answers may or may not get you a gig on the uh, the block uh <laughs> what trend are we seeing in new homes yeah
2: trends well what are trends you know they can get down to you know sort of um you know pastel color schemes um or minimalist uh yeah interiors you know so if we're talking about interiors well yeah that's probably not a question for me as I'm you know not wholly focused there but um but certainly look on a general level where um you know I guess as i say we we like to maximize The glass in the home where we can Um, and that connection to environment is important um, in terms of uh, I guess how we are on a sort of a health and well-being um, perspective so biophilic design is probably one of the biggest um, uh, or most publicized sort of trend in building design that I see Um, and it's certainly the embracing of um yeah landscape um uh you know sort of biophilic elements that sort of replicate you know i guess all our sort of you know natural fractal sort of um elements that we see within nature and the connectivity to that really helps you know it's a proven scientific fact that it um you know that connection with nature is good for our health and well-being so um, we can bring those, uh, I guess, the the sort of biophilic elements internally, um, you know, through interior gardens and also through the patination that we use in our um, interior design, um, you know, anything that's sort of fractally based, um, yeah, has a really strong impact there as well and anything that sort of echoes, I guess, um, natural systems and systems in nature. So... And that's one thing that sort of uh, we see as a future trend is um, and it sort of leads into, you know, the big emerging issue, you know, in my profession is is um, artificial intelligence and AI. But we're seeing that, you know, I guess through 3D printing and the use of AI to develop complex engineering systems, which are very similar to what we see in bone structures um, of animals like birds and shells and all of these elements which give us inherent strength, um, yeah, we're the sort of minimal use of material. So nature is the most sort of, you know, finely tuned design um, and AI and 3D printing and, yeah, I guess the evolution of um, building materiality is giving us, a, yeah, um, sort of, unleashing a sort of a, yeah, a new paradigm in building design. Um, AI is, yeah, um, probably currently used to develop um, some of those systems as far as engineering, but certainly um, from an architectural perspective, it's the unleashing of ideas. Um, you know, what is possible outside of our um, our sort of, uh, yeah, the creativity of our own brain uh, and where can that lead us? So, um, so yes, um, that also leads into, you know, other, other superstructures and certainly the use of, um, you know, timber within superstructures and multi, uh, multi-storey design. I see France has now mandated that each major project is to be built of CLT or timber, timber superstructure. So we're really reducing our embodied energy or, or um, carbon count by locking that into those systems, and there's a lot of technological advance, advances within the air engine, engineering of those systems and the design of those systems that are, yeah, really, really making waves, um, you know, as far as the future trends in building design is concerned. So, um, so yeah, I guess as a nutshell, they, they would really carry...
1: James Cooper from Sanctum Design. Thank you for that, dare I say, illuminating chat.
2: Pleasure was all mine, Branko. So, um, yeah, thanks for the
1: chat. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design and I've been talking with James Cooper from Sanctum Design. Thank you again for listening. Until next time,
0: goodbye. And that is the end of the podcast. This has been Branko Modic and thank you very much for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Thank you once again to the Architectural Window Systems, proud sponsors of our 2023 Sustainability Series. Be sure to check them out at awsaustralia.com.au. That's awsaustralia.com.au. You can also head over to architectureanddesign.com.au for all the latest industry news, views, projects, people and much, much more. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.